Everyone agrees it's a pretty dramatic evening all round. Pan right. It's a hospital room. A clammy, pregnant woman lies spread-eagled on the bed and is about to produce pitter-patter of her own. She's not going to wet herself, although that's often a distressing side effect of childbirth. I'm referring to the pitter-patter of children's feet. Stand back, says the midwife. Her contraptions are massive. Get ready. Looks like Anthony Eden's about to be named Prime Minister, mutters a nurse as she strolls past the door. And Chelsea are about to win the first division title, replies an orderly, almost certainly not educated enough to follow politics. In the corner of the room, Rock Around the Clock by Bill Haley blasts from the radio, quietly. You see, this wasn't now, it's then. The present tense used in this passage is just a literary device so that this next bit comes as a surprise. The scene is actually unfurling in 1955. The hospital? The Queen Elizabeth Hospital in King's Lynn. The sweaty woman, Mrs. Dorothy Partridge, my mother. And the child's head slithering from her legs. It belongs to me. The child was I, Partridge. You've done it. Brilliant pushing, says the midwife. She holds the newborn aloft like a captain lifting a fleshy World Cup, and then the child throws back his head and roars the roar of freedom. The noise is relatively nonsensical, but no less intelligent than most babies would produce. In fact, probably a bit more switched on than average. In many ways, the proud wail that burst from my lungs was my first broadcast, delivered to an audience of no more than eight, that still equated to an audience share in the delivery room at least of a cool one hundred percent. Not bad, I probably thought. Not bad at all. As I write these words, I'm noisily chomping away on not one, but two muddy mints. I've a powerful suck, and soon they'll be whittled away to nothing. But for the time being at least, they have each other. For the time being, they are brothers. Which is more than can be said for me, for I was an only child, and I will now talk more about being an only child. Why my parents never had more kids I don't know, though as a youngster I'd often lie in bed wondering. Maybe it was financial reasons. Maybe I'd bust mum's cervix. Maybe dad had just perfected the withdrawal method. But I would have loved a little brother to play football with or bully. I'd rush downstairs every Christmas and rip open my presents, hoping against hope that one of the boxes contained a human baby. It rarely did. In fact, it never did. The sad fact was my parents, brackets though not communists, were unconsciously adhering to the same one-child-only policy espoused by the People's Republic of China. And like billions of Chinese children, I consequently had to endure a home life of intense loneliness. This meant there was extra pressure on me to be sociable. I didn't have a motto growing up, but had I done, it would almost certainly have been, I'd love some friends, please, but maybe in Latin. I'd look on with longing as my fellow children greedily enjoyed their friendships. I remember being especially jealous of a lad called Graham Rigg. Graham was too cool for school, though he did still attend. He'd not only been winner of the Sports Day Slow Bicycle Race for three straight years, he was also the first boy in our class to properly kiss a girl. There'd been cheek pecks before, not to mention intersex handshakes, but he was the first kid in the playground to go French. None of the rest of us could figure out where he'd learned to do this, but the general consensus was from porno films. Eight-year-old Jenny Lancashire was the cockerhoop recipient, and she was rightly grateful. But when I look back... I often think how fortunate it was that Graham was the same age as her, because if he'd been twenty years older, he would have been up in Crown Court, and quite right too. 
I bumped into him for the first time in decades the other week. He was at the returns desk in my local home base. We were both taking back kettles. Him, faulty filament, me, didn't like colour. Still French-kissing eight-year-olds, I said, pointing an accusing finger at his potentially paedophilic mouth. No, he replied. Good, I said. Then, for extra emphasis, I said it again, but slightly more slowly. Good. I'd made my point. Anyway, after that, talk naturally turned to motor vehicles, and I was bowled over to learn that Graham had been the first person in Norwich to own a car with a catalytic converter, from playground Lothario to environmental trailblazer in under fifty years. It quickly dawned on me that here was a man whose number I needed to take, but before I had the chance, he'd collected his refund, mimed taking his hat off to me, and disappeared off into the sunset slash down the paint aisle. Without love, parental or matey, to sustain me, I turned to myself, Alan Partridge, for comfort. Eager to keep myself occupied, I was...